Thank you, Nancy. That was beautiful. Our scripture today comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Well, good morning, church, and welcome to those online as well. We welcome you to our service, those that will watch this later as well. We are at the end of a sermon series. Oh, I know. Yeah, I don't know. It's mixed reviews. It's like, yeah, it's a good, yeah. It's, a, it's been a quick one. Yeah, so, so we're going to, and of course, it has to end here today because it's kind of been based around the idea of some of the Olympics and things like that. And of course, the Olympics have the closing ceremony this morning, so... I've been really enjoying that as much as I could. I, I missed a whole bunch of it. I normally sit down and watch the Olympics a lot, but this is the, the first time I've had the Olympics with kids, so didn't really get to watch nearly as much. I watched a whole lot more Disney Plus than probably Olympics these last few weeks, but that's just how life goes, isn't it? But we are at the end of a sermon series, and it's called Track and Field, and of course, uh, we've been looking at this idea that the Christian life is like a race. And in fact, many different scriptures point to that idea and, and kind of expound upon that idea that we're running a race in our life and that gives some advice on how to do that. And uh, we're going to be looking at a, one more a verse that you just heard here today. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be about a race, but this one definitely has application when we think about our life as a race for Jesus Christ as well. Let us uh, pray a prayer as we start. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, with the kids being sick this week, I didn't get a chance to do the little sermon note thing that we've been experimenting with here today, but there is still in your bulletin a little section for an empty blank space. That's like a notepad that you can take notes and pretend here today that there are some fill in the blanks if you so want to. You can do that here today. But as we look at track and field, I want to tell you about uh, the 1996 Olympics once again, because of course, if you haven't been with us, uh, 1996 Olympics were in Atlanta. I grew up mostly in Atlanta. I was there when the Olympics happened, and I still, of course, still have that song, The World is Coming to Atlanta, that played every single commercial break on our local radio stations and local TV stations over and over and over again. That song is now stuck in my head forever and ever. Amen. But as we're here today, I did want to tell you about some of my other experiences of going to the Olympics that uh, we had. And one of these was going to see what I was really excited about as a young kid was fencing. Now, I didn't know a single thing about fencing, but I thought, well, this is the time to find out about it. So I told my dad uh, I wanted to see fencing, and we, you know, Atlanta, if you don't know this, it's like the scalp central place in America. You go there, you can't buy tickets to anything. You just buy tickets from the scalpers on the street. That's how it works in Atlanta. And so we went up and down the street looking for fencing and fencing, and these guys knew someone over here. And so, like, I remember it took an hour of, like, walking with the scalpers before we finally got the fencing tickets, but we got some. So we got to go see fencing, and I had no clue what to expect. I'd never watched it. You know, I've seen the pictures of, you know, some sword fighters with the little, you know, face shield on and the white outfit and all that stuff. I had no clue what to expect. 
And uh, we only got two tickets. My sister was the one that ended up taking me. And we, of course, went down, went to the Olympics and, and saw the, the, the different disciplines, if you will, of fencing. And it was really amazing uh, going back and watching. I got to watch some of it on YouTube uh, here recently of just kind of what fencing has developed into. But my memory when I was younger was there were, there were kind of three disciplines and they acted totally different. I was so surprised at this. But one discipline was like, I think it was called the saber. And basically it was two people trying to chop each other to death. Like there was no grace or anything to it. It was like just that they blew the whistle and they just went at each other. There was no blocking, no, no pairing, no nothing. And just whoever could hit each other first. Then there was an epi and a foil and they were so different because they actually like did this whole thing for a while and like, you know, all this stuff and did the whole ching, 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 right? And uh, it seems like over time though, this maybe changed because it used to take a while for a point to be scored, at least when I was watching. But nowadays, it just seems like they go at each other. And the one thing I've learned about that is if fencing was ever real again, whoever dueled would just die because they both hit each other. If you ever noticed watching fencing, like they both actually get each other and get each other really good. It's just a matter who gets there about the better point first. And you sit there and you wonder when you watch it, you're like, who just won? And you wouldn't know until like a light blinks up and then they go, yeah, right? And you have no clue. It's one of these sports that you just sit there and it's just so fast. Your eye can't catch it and you wonder what happens. But I distinctly remember at the end of it, uh, I believe it was a gold medal that we got to see, but it was, it was uh, one of the disciplines was having the gold medal match and the dude won. And I remember my sister and I were like, hey, and all the people you know, from the country that won it were all just jumping up and down, having fun, and he had the flag and all that stuff. And he starts taking off the outfit. And my sister made the comment, that is a skinny dude, right? Because you never know, but underneath the outfit, you have no clue what the body physique of an athlete, and you're at the Olympics, so you just expect them to be ripped and, you know, like, you know, at least really toned and muscular. This guy was like, looked like he had sat around and played computer games his whole life. Like, he had no muscle culture to him whatsoever, flabby arms, skinny dude, and my, I just remember my sister going, that's an Olympian? Like, really? <laughs> and I don't know if that's always the case, but the dude that won at that time was. But it's interesting to think of strength. And interesting to think of what it means to have strength. And in that moment, I realized that maybe not all Olympics are based on just mere feats of strength, if you will, the athleticism in the typical way we know it. There's other types of strength as well. Well, if you're here today, we've been looking at the idea of a race in Christianity. First thing we looked at in the past coming weeks, that first week was intentionality, really. That in order to run the race, the, go the gospels that declare that we need to do it and think of our race of running for Jesus Christ with training, discipline, focus, and specifically that word intentionality. That it just doesn't happen. You got to actually put effort into it to become more and more like Jesus Christ and to run the race well. We looked at last week, it'd be not only a race, but it's actually a spectator sport, right? And we talked about not only the idea that people are always watching you, but specifically even that the people of faith that have gone on before us watch us, cheer for us, like they just jump up and down for us, just like a cloud of witnesses like we looked in Hebrews last week. And of course this week, there's one more aspect of race. And while there are other scriptures we could go to that specifically talk about a race and how we're supposed to run it, I wanted to go to Isaiah here today because one of the elements of running a race is of course you need strength. You have to have strength in order to finish the race. Training, discipline, focus are all well and good. Being surrounded by a spectator cloud of witnesses is all good, but if you don't have the strength, you're not gonna be able to finish the race. When I was younger, I remember in middle school, I was actually elementary school, 
And I remember the day in fourth grade where they said in our PE class, they said, hey, we're going to do the mile today. And everybody's got to run it. And they had, took us out to a field, you know, because you don't have a track necessarily in elementary school. But they took us out to a field, set up some cones. You had to run laps. And they said you had to run around eight times. And you, once you finish your eighth lap, you finished a mile. And they said, go at it, kid. Have fun. And there was no backing out. You had to do it, right? And I don't know if it was like some government, you know, they really keep tabs on how youth can run a mile or what it was, but everybody had to do it, you know, and they had to do it. So fourth grade, we got out there, we started running, I remember my mindset, I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run this race, I'm going to finish it, I'm not going to stop once, I'm just going to keep running, and when I feel so tired, you know what, I'm just going to dig deeper, I'm going to keep running, I'm going to do it. And I got around like two laps of the eight. And I said, forget that idea. I am tired. I am walking for a little bit. And so I walked and I ran and I walked and ran and I walked and I ran. I have no clue what my original time was. But eventually I got to the end and of course in the typical elementary school way was like, that was the hardest thing ever. And of course fell on the ground and acted like I had just like, you know, saved the world or something with my effort. Then of course fast forward into middle school years, there was flag day. Do you guys have flag days or like the, the you know, the days? What they did in my middle school was they had everybody team up in the different grades uh, and you were assigned a country and there were four teams and for some reason every single year, there were three and where I grew up, there were you know, middle school years were, were three years and every single year I ended up on team Ecuador. And so part of the duty was, is you had to look up like all the different stuff about your country. Well, I had it super easy, thank you public education, because every year I got to do the same report because it was always on Ecuador. So I could tell you all about the Galapagos Islands and all that good stuff that I've now forgot as I got older. But I could have one day, well, back in the day, told you about it. And I remember Flag Day, they got up and everybody had to sign up for the different events and teacher kept trying to get somebody to sign up for the mile and none of us, I'm sure like, no, no one was doing it. And it went round and round and round and round. And finally, I guess my will broke for everybody else because I just was tired of everybody not already, like it was just at the point of like, all right, I'm ready to move on. So I was like, fine, I'll do it. And she was like, yay. And so she signed me up. Day came in the race, I said, you know what? <clears throat> I haven't ever run a mile, or I have run a mile, but I haven't ever like ran it fully. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna run it. I'm gonna run it, I'm not gonna stop, I'm gonna just keep going, and when I get tired, I'm gonna dig down deeper. And at this point, it wasn't just the fact that, you know, I was running it for myself, but there was a stand of all the high school football, like we went to the high school football stadium to do this, and all my school was there, and everybody's watching me. So even if I get too tired, I'm gonna say, you know what, I can't make a fool of myself. I have to keep running. And so this was a lap, we had to run four laps around the track to get a mile, and I got about two into it, and I said, you know, they're on that side of the track. I'm over here, I'm gonna walk this edge. So I walked this edge, got to the end, ran back in front of them again, of course, and then walked the rest and then ran back in front of them again. And of course, uh, did not finish the race and uh, everybody teased me about it because all the other kids that were running the race that couldn't do the same thing, did the same thing. But then I remember, you know, you get older, you get actually into athletics a bunch more than, than you were when you're younger. And I remember one day in my high school, I just said, you know what? No training, no nothing. Like I just, you know, I played lacrosse and stuff, done sports at this point. And I said, you know what? I feel like running a mile today in like 96 degree heat in Atlanta, humidity, just crazy, right? And I went to this park that, that had a mile track, but it wasn't flat. It was like, imagine running up Mount Olympus herself, right? I mean, it was like, it was just up. I mean, it was huge hills and stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm just gonna run it. I'm gonna do this today. And sure enough, I got out there and I even got my clock out on my watch, I timed it and all that stuff. And I just sprinted and I went so fast, and it was just flying. And I actually finished the race under six minutes without even trying. And I was like, yeah, strength, yeah. Of course, then, you know, as I grew up, can't run a mile now for saving my life, right? But 
There was that brief little like, you know, late teens, early 20s where like you could just go out and do anything you wanted to without practicing because your body was just so physique and that's how it was. But I actually finally did run that race just without getting up and just doing it. But I mention all that because in the race we need strength for the journey. And just like when I was younger, so many times in our culture, we just tell ourselves it's like the train that thinks it can, right? If you just think you can and think you can, you think you can, you can just climb that mountain and get to the top and coast on down the other side. But as you've been around a while, you realize, while thinking can gets you pretty far, it doesn't always get you to the end, right? That sometimes we still end up falling short. Sometimes we still end up not being able to finish the race. And it is one of those things, of course, in our life where we need strength beyond ourselves. Some of the greatest feats of strength and speed, of course, we've been in Olympics and the track and field, and also in 1996, now I wasn't there to see this, but I had to watch it on TV, but there was a well-known athlete that you probably remember. And you probably remember him because he was the man with the golden shoes. You remember that guy? His name was Michael Johnson, and he was called the man with the golden shoes because he literally had Nike cleats, or spikes, if you will, that were gold. Like, I don't know if he spray painted them or they made gold ones for him or whatever, but he had these super shiny shoes and everybody knew that he was gonna be the fastest on the track and all this stuff. And he specifically uh, ran kind of mid, mid kind of tier. He did the 200 meter and 400 meter uh, events. And when he ran the 200 meter that year, he uh, set a world record for 19 seconds and 32, 19.32 seconds that is. And at the 400 meter, he ran it in 43.49. Man with the golden shoes. And of course, I remember on the announcers, I distinctly remember one of the announcers on the TV saying, you know what? Nobody thinks it's arrogant that he wears golden shoes. And I remember my dad specifically saying, as he's watching that, well, I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, but he had, but it was the 90s, everybody, you know, it was neon Dion ages and all that type of stuff of all the different athletes. And it was, you know, all about boasting and bragging and things like that. Michael Johnson ran that amazing feat, was flying down the track. And then, of course, came Usain Bolt. Now, he did a couple different things. He did the 100 meter and the 200 meter, so it's not really exact comparison. But Usain Bolt, if you remember him, especially the 2008 in Beijing and also London and Rio, just obliterated people. And it was one of those things, especially in the 100 meter, you know, it's, it's, that's considered the fastest man on earth or woman on earth when you run that. And, and so when you run it, I just remember distinctly watching one of the races where the fastest people in the world start running and they all get kind of to their top out speed. And then there's Usain Bolt, who by the end of the race still hadn't even hit his top and spin. He was still accelerating, but he got to the end of it. I mean, just flying down the track. And he, as far as I know, he still holds the world record in the 100, 200, and even his team holds it in the four by 100 as well. Now, of course, this Olympics, not to be outdone, had a pretty amazing race the other day in the hurdles. And it was the 400 meter hurdle, uh, some great times that were posted by the silver and the, and the gold, but a man from Norway, uh, named, a man named Karsten Warholm. Did anybody get to watch that? Did you see, anybody see that? No, okay, great. Well, let me tell you about it real quick. Right? So you're running the 400 meters, just like you know the people we just were talking about, but you're running it and you're hurdling the time, right? You're hurdling, you're hurdling. The guy ran it in 45.94 seconds. Now, just to give you an idea, without hurdles, just running a 400-meter race, the fastest time in the Olympics was a guy from South Africa that ran it in 43 seconds, 43.03. So with hurdles, the guy ran the thing 
about just less than three seconds faster than any other Olympian had ever ran it without hurdles. Like that's literally flying. I mean, like when his feet left the ground hurdling, he is soaring down the track. And of course it was really awkward because he got to the end, you might've saw this picture where he tried to do the Superman and he tried to rip the shirt and he, did, he ripped it a little bit, but it got, you know, up here on the collar, it was a little too strong and down here it didn't stop. So he tried to rip it, he went, Ugh! He went, and it still didn't go, so, all right. but he walked around, then he had this hole like right here in his chest because it didn't quite rip off all the way. But, so that tells you that if you're ever gonna do the Superman at the end of a race, make sure you can rip your shirt, because otherwise you look kind of funny. But yeah, announcers didn't mention it at all, but they were just amazed how fast, and they were like, we'll never see this again, and blah, 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 blah. You know, this is just, you can't imagine the feat that was just done. This is truly an amazing moment. And not only he, but even the second place person just obliterated records that had been held for many, many years. But the point I tell you all that is because even those sprinters, those people that can fly down the track, you still aren't strong enough and you need strength. Because life is not a sprint, it's not uh, even a marathon, it's the longest marathon you can think of, one of those ultra marathons. And if you just rely on yourself, rely on your training, rely even on the spectators cheering you on, you can't make it to the end. You need more strength than you can gather from those sources. And of course, you need that strength from God. And God gives it graciously and willingly. Now, if you're here today, and I know uh, many of you have looked back on your life experiences, and you can see God's strength working through you in so many different ways or different points of your life. But if you're here today, and there's a part of you that says, you know what, that's great, Pastor, because I can see where you're going with this sermon and where our scripture was here today. But if you knew my story, you'd understand that in some ways I just feel like God blesses those other people, but not me. Like somehow I just get like the leftovers, if you will. That you look at maybe, I don't know, maybe I have a sibling that just had better life opportunities than you. And even though they were slightly better than you, it just took them in a whole new direction than you had. Or maybe just your friends that you worked, had, went through high school with or college with just had other opportunities come through and you know now they're doing things that you wish you could be doing or maybe just life threw monkey wrenches in your plan and you ended up not being where you wanted to be or doing some of the things you wished you could do or maybe some of your dreams got flushed down with all sorts of different stuff that happens in our world like so many have experienced this years of covid of having to go through loss and lost great could be any of those things or many more where you just sit there and you say, you know what, that's great, Pastor. I know you're going to tell me we got to look to God for our strength. And I do that and God gives it, but there's still a piece of me that feels like other people get it more than I do. Kind of like our opening song here today, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. There's a part of you that says, says Lord, while you're attending other people, remember me. Because in so many ways, it feels like that blessing passes over me. Well, if that is you here today, I wanted to preach this sermon for you. Specifically, this sermon is good for everyone, but specifically for you, I had you in mind with the words that are in Scripture here today. And that's because our Scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 40. And specifically, as you saw before, it starts in verse 28, but that's really not the whole story of these verses. You see, Isaiah chapter 40 is the start of something really cool in the book of Isaiah. If you go read the book of Isaiah, just open it up and start reading, there's going to be a whole bunch to it. It's a very, um, you know, historically convoluted book as far as trying to piece it together and all these different things of understanding it. But just listening at how it comes across nowadays, it's interesting how when they put it together, how they arranged it. 
and how it was arranged. And how it was arranged was like this. The first part of Isaiah talks also about the glory of God and all the judgment coming to the nations and specifically to the Israelites and who they are. And specifically the warning of, hey, bad things are coming. You have earned it. You've done all the bad stuff. You've worshiped these other gods. You left behind all the ways that I told you to live and you just abandoned them. Trouble's coming. And in fact, you know, in history, of course, and throughout Scripture, the testimony that's given there, trouble absolutely does come in the form of the Assyrians, in the form of the Babylonians. But Isaiah chapter 40 starts a twist in the book, a turning point in the book. And in fact, the rest of the book of Isaiah, they kind of, they say that the scroll is basically three books, if you will. And the rest of the book of Isaiah is called the book of consolation. The book of comfort to a people who are downtrodden, hurting, and feeling lost, and feeling like their God has abandoned them. Just the words of these opening chapter, it starts with, let me just read a couple of them to you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and she has received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert place Make way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, if that sounds familiar, those last verses, it's because John the Baptist uses them, right? Make straight the path of the way of the Lord, right? And so there's, we'll talk about it some other time, but there's a whole lot of interplay between these verses and this chapter as well, and what that means for Jesus Christ. But as we hear today, it starts off with this consoling word from God. And then God goes on and to just speak, and he says, just remember my power. I hold the waters in the hollow of my hand. The dirt of the earth can be placed in a basket, no star is so wide for me that the length of my hand can't reach it and put it into place every single night. And on and on and on, God says all these mighty things. And he even starts just the end of this, he kind of starts doing a little gold shoes kind of thing himself, where he says in verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each one by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now you would think of that, the people of Israel would hear this, and, and specifically the people in Jerusalem would hear this and go, Hallelujah, our time is up. The Lord is coming. He's coming and he's mighty. Let's do it. Let's, let's stand up. Let's get excited. Let's do all these things. You know, they, you, could, you could just, that's the response that would be appropriate to God saying, Hey, comfort to you. I'm coming. Everything's going to be made straight, and things are going to be set back, and we're going to make this on the ship right, if you will, and we're going to keep on our journey together. That would be the response. That would be appropriate. But in verse 27, right after those words I just spoke, here's what Jacob, the people, the Israelites, say. And so God's speaking to them. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, that my cause is disregarded by my God. In other words, they had been through so much turmoil, been through much hurt, been through much disappointment. Even though they earned it themselves and deserved it, they still had been to the point where they just thought, God has abandoned me. God has hides my knowledge, the way of my, my walk 
is not unknown to him. I am disregarded by God. That was the feeling that they had when they heard those words. But God goes on to say, do you not know? Have you not heard? Now remember, these words are being spoken to a people who are having trouble even accepting what God is saying to them and the goodness he's offering to them. He says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Now don't miss over that. Not strength to those who have a bunch of strength. Not strength to those who life is going great and they're just going about and living their best selves. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It doesn't say that you always have strength, but it says that once you get depleted and you're down and out, your strength at some point is going to be renewed and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If you're here today, one of the great news of the gospel is this. Not only is God for us, is God is constantly with us, cheering for us. It's not only that, but God is constantly offering his strength. The strength that places stars, the strength that holds waters, the strength that creates and breathes life into everything we know. That strength is being offered to you here again, once again today, to be refreshed. And if your hope is in the Lord, you will be refreshed. You will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not grow faint. Because we all need something that helps us finish running that mile. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we once again come to you. And God, we know that many of us feel disheartened or have felt disheartened, that is, like just like the Israelites did. The people who these words were written to were at a point, Lord, where they just thought they were beyond your grace. And that all these promises that you were promising were just too good to be true. God, in some ways, we make that same mistake even in our own life. And your word comes to us once again. And you speak to those who are weary. You speak to those who think they've been lost. And you offer once again strength. Remind us that you are the everlasting God, unchanging. That God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you're constantly here with us. For anyone who would put their hope in you to bring strength once again for our journey and for our race. Amen. As we continue to worship, we'll be worshiping through Holy Communion here today. Um, I'm going to have Jeannie come and help with this today. Uh, because my kids were sick, I just want to be extra precautious. So she's going to help uh, with the elements here today as we uh, get started. But as we do come to the Lord, know this, that Jesus Christ came to this earth to free sinners, to find those who were hurt and broken, and to bring new life to them. And so we remember that on the night in which he gave himself up for us, Christ took the bread, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take this, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of my new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
And so, Lord, remember the deeds, your mighty acts, and many more in Jesus Christ that we name here in our hearts and here and now. We, Lord, give you all honor and glory and praise. And God, as we continue to worship here today, we do take time, Lord, to ask your presence to be upon these gifts, that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ, by taking them, we may be the body of Christ, redeemed for you and for all the world. God, as we take these elements, we remember you. We remember the fact that Jesus Christ has loved us, and we give all honor and glory and praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and forever. For those that are going to be helping uh, with the community here today, will you please come forward at this time? As they're coming, I just want to say a few more comments about our uh, communion here today. First of all, if you're not a member of this church or a member of this denomination, you are still welcome to take communion. Uh, this is an open table to anybody who wants to experience Jesus Christ. So you're welcome to come and have communion with us here today. I do also want to mention to you, uh, we'll be taking communion by intinction, which is basically as you come forward, there'll be a loaf of bread. Just rip off a piece of the bread. There'll be a cup, and then you just dip it into the cup and then take communion that way. If you do prefer, we do have some of the prepackaged elements that are available here. So for whatever reason, if you're more comfortable with that, you're welcome to take that. And um, you can welcome to take that back to your seat because sometimes it's a little tricky to open. And so you can take it back to your seat and take it there if you want to. Um, the table is now going to be prepared, and we'll be coming down these aisles and heading back towards the end. We'll start in the balcony as well as the back. Let's now prepare the table.